One semester of law school. One semester of criminal justice. Two experts. I'm Kristen Pitts. I'm Brandi Egan. Let's go to court. On this episode, I'll talk about the other Craigslist killer. And I'll be talking about the Watts family murderers. I we have I have to do a correction right off the bat. What? On the episode that um was released this week. Okay. The That's My Leg okay. segment. We called him Judge Joe Mathis. Yeah, is that his not- name is Judge Greg Mathis. <laughs> I think we meshed together Judge Joe, Joe Brown. Brown and Judge Greg Mathis. <laughs> wow, that's embarrassing. That's not that even is, close. That sucks. So I listened to that episode yeah. and I was like, that does not sound right. And so I look it up and I was like, fuck, we were wrong. Why didn't we look it up while we were doing it? We were both, because I was like, was that his name? And then we were both like, yeah, that's for sure his name. I 100% believed it was his name. <laughs> so why would I Google something that I'm 100% sure about? Well, I'm sorry, Judge Greg Mathis. I know you're a huge fan of the huge show. Huge fan of the I'm pod. I'm sure you were pissed. <laughs> Super pissed that we got his name wrong. Okay. This case that I'm doing. It is a fresh one. There's still steam coming off of it. Oh. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. But is it is it going to be like one of mine where like stuff isn't done no, yet? No, this is 100% wrapped up. Nice tight bow on top. I'm really pissed because <laughs> I was like getting kind of giddy about like, now I can give you shit about doing a case that's not fully done. Of course. Of course of you waited course. for the exact right moment. Of course I did. Congratulations. <laughs> okay. It was just before 1.45 a.m. on August 13th, 2018. Oh. 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 <laughs> that's like crazy fresh. I told you there was steam on it still, Kristen. <laughs> okay, I didn't. Okay, go ahead. When Nicole Atkinson dropped Shanann Watts off at her home in Frederick, Colorado. Shanann? Shanann. Um, okay, in the video, like the court videos of this, a couple of people call her Shannon, yeah. but her parents and her husband and the prosecutor all call her Shanann. Well, okay, then they're, so, they're, they're right. I'm guessing they're correct. <laughs> <laughs> I think they'd know. Okay. <laughs> okay. So Nicole Atkinson dropped Shanann Watts off at her home in Frederick, Colorado, which is about 30 miles north of Denver. The two friends had been in Scottsdale, Arizona to attend a conference for the multi-level marketing company they were both representatives for. Uh-oh. And while the ladies had had a great time at the conference, Shanann was tired and ready to go home. She was ready to be back with her family, her husband, Chris, and daughters, Bella and Celeste, ages four and three, respectively. Um, the trip had also taken its toll on Shanann because at 15 weeks pregnant with her third child, a boy they planned to name Nico, she tired more easily. Okay, what was the MLM? It's level. Um, they sell Thrive products. They're like these patches that are supposed to give you like more energy oh, and God. stuff. Yeah. Mm. Brandy, I've got an exciting <laughs> opportunity for you. <laughs> All you have to ask yourself is, do I want to be a millionaire or no? <laughs> no. Oh, Who would want to be a millionaire? What the fuck? <laughs> oh, God. 
That was disgusting. Mm. Do you want me to leave that in? <laughs> Please do not. Where your boogers hit the back <laughs> oh of your brain. Oh my god! <laughs> I swear, I breathe it totally normally until I walk out of my house mm-hmm. and cross into Missouri. I'm allergic. <laughs> To, to what? Missouri. To what? The aroma of Missouri? <laughs> Can't imagine. You know, the second you walked in my house today, you had complaints about Missouri. Okay. In my defense, you had the same complaints. <laughs> it's true. We recently had some snow here. Some snow? We had a blizzard yeah, we in had Kansas City. Yeah, ridiculous snow. Yeah. And... In Johnson County, where I live, it the streets look as if it never snowed. They are clear, no problems, wonderful. You cross right into Missouri. They're horrible. So I was telling Brandy today, because it's so ridiculous, this thing of living on the state line, yeah. where one state is like on top of their yes. shit, and the other is uh, sleeping. Yeah. So I go to the gym in Kansas... And like the second I cross the state line, the roads are wonderful. <laughs> but in my own neighborhood, it's like a freaking ice rink. Yes. But don't worry, today, Kansas City, Missouri tweeted, thanks for your patience. The roads are all clear. So <laughs> I can see a road right now that I uh, could. Yeah, no, tell everyone was like, clear. really, guys? Mm, weird. This tweet was a little premature. <laughs> Everything seemed normal. When Nicole left the Watts home in those early morning hours. But what she didn't know was that it was the last time she would ever see her friend alive. And within 69 hours, police would have their suspect in custody. Well, that's pretty precise. Yeah, it is. Do you think do you think maybe it was 70 hours but the writer of this article that I pulled that little tidbit from was like <laughs> 69 I really hope not <laughs> It was pretty quickly the following morning that Nicole felt something was out of the ordinary She and Shanann spoke every day but she wasn't returning her text messages And when Nicole learned that Shanann had missed a 10 o'clock doctor's appointment that morning she knew something was up for sure. I don't know how she found out she missed the okay. doctor's appointment. Okay. I couldn't find that. So Could you see that question for me? I did. I saw it. Well, because I had that question when I was writing this. I was like, well, how'd she find out? And yeah. I like read so many articles to try and figure, was she supposed to go to it with her? I don't know. Yeah, okay. I don't. Okay. Did she work at the doctor's office? I don't know. Gotcha. But somehow she knew she had a 10 o'clock doctor's appointment. And she knew and she, she didn't, knew make, she it. didn't okay. make it. Okay. okay. So just after noon, Nicole headed to the Watts home. When her doorbell rings and pounding on the front door went unanswered, Nicole called Chris Watts and told him she was at the house and she was afraid that maybe Shanann had suffered some sort of medical event, leaving her unable to come to the door. Chris told Nicole that he would come home to check the house for her, but Nicole wasn't satisfied with that. She also called the police and asked them to perform a welfare check on Shanann. Ooh, she did not like so Chris. So she didn't like Chris's mm-hmm. response because at first Chris was like, you know, we're going through some stuff and it's really none of your business. Uh, and then okay. she was like, whoa, whoa. You know what? She's my best friend. It is my business. If I can't get a hold of her, I talk to her every day. And he's like, mm, uh, okay, you're right. Yeah, I'll, I'll come check on her. Mm. So she's like, fuck yeah. that. Yeah, I'm not asking for you to check. Yeah. And so she calls the police. By 1.40 that afternoon, police arrived at the Watts home 
And Chris was there by then as well. And he let them in and let them look around the house and he answered their questions. He walked them through the events that he said took place Hmm. after Shanann arrived home from the conference. Okay, so what happened, Chris? He said that he had woken up about five o'clock in the morning and realized that Shanann had come home. So she was supposed to have been home earlier than that. But there were like some storms. And so her flight got delayed. And so she didn't get home until almost two o'clock in the morning. So he had already gone to bed. And so at that time, at five o'clock in the morning, he wakes up, he wakes her up. They have this emotional conversation where he calmly and politely informed her that he wanted a divorce. Oh, that's usually how it goes, isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) The two then had a lengthy conversation about ending their six-year marriage, Mm -hmm. during which both he and Shanann were both, they were pretty upset and crying. And then at approximately 5.15, he... Wait, 15? He left for work. I can't even get the words out. (laughs) This conversation lasted 15 minutes? Well, 15 minutes passed from the time that he woke her up. They had the conversation. He asked for the divorce. They had a lengthy emotional, you know, Uh conversation. Both were crying and upset. Now we've got our six-year marriage. Yeah, and then then seven minutes later. He was on his way to work. (laughs) (laughs) After the conversation, Shanann told Chris that she would be leaving later that day to stay with a friend for a bit. But when he left for work, Shanann had gone back to bed and the kids were still asleep. That was the last he'd seen of them. Uh Uh-huh. Multiple police officers listened to his story. And with the exception of one small change in the timeline, where he told one officer that the conversation happened at four rather than five. That's a better lie. It is a better lie. (laughs) His story seemed consistent, but there were red flags all over the house. Really? Like what? When police arrived at the house, it was locked up tight. Every door and every window was secured. Okay. Yet Shanann's keys, purse, and phone were found inside the house. Even her car was still in the garage with the girls' car seats inside. Mm-hmm. It sure didn't look like Shanann had <laughs> left the house. Uh-huh. And then there was the discovery in the master bedroom. The sheets from the bed had been stripped, and they were later found stuffed into a trash can in the home. But police weren't ready to call this a missing persons case just yet. It had only been a few hours since Shanann was last seen. There had been an emotional conversation between her and Chris, and she told him she was going to leave. And adults are free to do that. So they told Chris to continue to try and get in contact with her, And they'd follow up with him the following day. Wait, so was her purse, keys, and cell phone in the house or just purse and keys? Purse, keys, cell phone, all inside the house. Uh, Yeah. I mean, I know all adults are free to leave, but what adult woman leaves without? Yeah, yeah. Either all three or at least a few of those things. Yes. That's crazy. So when officers followed up with Chris the following morning, August 14th, and found that Shanann and the girls had not returned home, and he'd still been un- unable to reach her, they decided it was time to get the public involved. Okay. I didn't realize that the girls were missing, too. Yes. Oh, shit. Yes. Oh. They issued a news release and requested assistance from state and federal investigators. Right away, canine units were brought in to try and pick up the scent around the Watts home to see if Shanann and the girls had left on foot and they could attempt maybe to follow that trail. 
and the newly involved officers took another look around the home for possible evidence. I believe it was actually during this search that they found the sheets in the trash. So initially when the police had come, the bed had just been stripped and like they took note of that. Mm -hmm. But I think it wasn't until this search that they found the sheets in the trash can. They didn't look in the trash can. Well, wasn't it even a search at that point, really? She wasn't even officially a missing person. Okay. Okay. They were just doing like a cursory search around the house for any sign of break-in or anything like that. Okay. During this same time, when they've got the canine units going, they've got a new investigation team going, Chris Watts is standing on his front porch and speaking to the media. He said he just wanted to know that they were safe. If they had left willingly and they were safe somewhere, that was okay with him. He just needed to know where they were safe. But, he told reporters, if someone took them and they were, like, not safe, like, that was, like, not okay. Because, like, they needed to come forward and, like, speak up because that's, like, way not cool of them. Wait, wait are okay. you direct This is quoting? not a direct quote, but this is basically what he fucking said. <laughs> well, he's, like, right. <laughs> He is, his demeanor is super strange. He's very calm and he's almost chuckling between like sentences. Uh. He's like, I just just really want to know if they're okay. I mean, like if they're safe, cool. Uh. If they're not, like not cool. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. (laughs) He also told reporters that the previous night had been torture. He sat up all night with the lights on in the house, waiting for his daughters to come running through the door and attack him with hugs and kisses. But it never happened. To finish up the interview, a reporter asked Chris, if your wife could see this, if she could watch this, what would you tell her? And Chris replied, and this is, a, this is an exact quote. Shanann, Bella, Celeste, if you're out there, just come back. Like, if somebody has her, just bring her back. I need to see everybody. I need to see everybody again. This house is not complete without anybody here. Please bring them back. Hmm. Okay. So what we know about cases like this is that the spouse, the person closest to the victim, is always the first suspect. Right. So while Chris was giving his front porch interviews... They were looking into his activities in between the time that Shanann arrived home and when police had become involved. It was a short time, almost exactly 12 hours. But they would soon learn that Chris had been very busy during that time. Well, yeah, because he was asleep and then he had that 15-minute conversation (laughs) and then he left the house. So this timeline is a little bit murky because... A lot happens in a 24-hour period. So I've done my best to, like, get it in the right order. But if something's a little bit out of order. Brandy, if you don't have this 100% right. (laughs) (laughs) So all of these next events happened on August 15th. Okay. The day after Shanann and the girls were officially listed as missing persons. So investigators brought Chris in for an official interview at the station. And he denied having any knowledge of what happened to Shanann or the girls. He repeatedly told them that he had no idea where they were. He agreed to take a polygraph test and it determined that he was being deceptive when he answered no to several questions, including 
Do you know where Shanann Watts is? Did you have anything to do with the disappearance of Shanann, Bella, or Celeste? Did you harm Shanann in any way? So he said no to all of those questions, Uh and the test showed that he was being deceptive. Even with those results, though, he maintained that he had no knowledge of their whereabouts. So at some point during that same day, police received a call from a woman named Nicole Kessinger. She told police that she was a co-worker of Chris's and that the two had been having an affair for about a month. Oh, no. But, and this is the real shocker, Chris had told her that he and his wife were separated. Oh, God. So she was real surprised to learn that Shanann was 15 weeks pregnant and that they weren't separated at all. Uh Uh-huh. So Nicole had called to confront Chris when she saw his plea for his family's return on the news. And he was so clearly feeding her line after line about the whole situation that she finally told him she'd want to hear from him again until after his family was found. She was like, you're not being truthful with me. You're feeding me bullshit. I'm done. Until after. Until after your family's found. I think that's a weird thing to say, too. She had a terrible feeling in her gut that maybe she hadn't known this man at all. And maybe he had done something to his wife and children. That was when she made the decision to call police. And police weren't shocked at all that Chris had been having an affair. They were pretty sure that he hadn't been truthful to them about anything Mm -hmm. to this point. When police were doing their initial investigation to the house, they noted that the Watts next door neighbor had one of those ring doorbells with the video camera. Yeah. And so they went over and they asked him if they could check his footage. And of course, he was like, anything I can do to help. Absolutely. So through that footage, they were able to confirm when Shanann returned home from her trip Mm -hmm. and when Chris had left for work in the morning. And the camera caught him backing his truck up to the house and loading something to it in into the back of it the mor- that morning sometime after 5 a.m. before he left for work. Oh. When questioned about this, Chris told investigators that he had been loading up tools for work into his truck. But it wasn't only what the camera caught that the police took interest in. It was what it didn't show as well. At no point did it show Shanann or the girls leaving the house. Oh, yeah. Yep. Not on foot, not at gunpoint by some armed assailant, mm. not at all. According to the footage from the video, Shanann and the girls should still be in the house. Yep. Unless, of course, someone had loaded them into the back of a truck before leaving for work. Uh, no, those were tools. I think you missed that part. <laughs> so with that Did information. Did big? So. No. Okay. I'll get to a theory at the end of this. I'll tell you what okay. what they think happened, but they couldn't see what was being loaded into the truck and they couldn't see I don't think they could physically see what he was holding. Okay. Just like the angle of it, I believe. Okay. So with that information in hand, they looked into where Chris had worked that day. They learned that Chris had gone to a remote site of the oil company he worked for that day. In fact, a coworker had offered to take the job from him so he wouldn't have to go to this site, but he declined and said he'd handle it. Hmm. On August 15th, police used drones to trace Chris's GPS route from his work truck to the site 
And then they searched that site. So they took drones and they took it along the whole route that he drove in his work truck. So his work truck has like is GPS enabled, so it tracks all of his routes. Oh. And so they follow this whole route he took, and then they use this drone to do an aerial search of this work site. So it's like the company that he worked for is an oil drilling company. Okay. And so it's just it's um it's not like a refinery or anything like that. It just has like big crude oil tanks on it and and I think like oil derricks, I believe. Okay. So they're searching with this drone and they spot some freshly disturbed earth and a sheet on the ground. And the pattern on the sheet oh, matches boy. the pattern from the stripped bed sheets perfectly. Yep. So now they're like, well, this that's for sure where the bodies are. Yeah. Um, they also found out during this time that between the time that like he'd left for work and when he'd been called back to the house by Shanann's friend, mm-hmm. he'd called the girls where the girls were enrolled at preschool and told them they wouldn't be coming back for the next school year. So what? it's August 13th. So school's getting ready to start in there in like a public school preschool yeah. program. So he calls the school and tells them that they're not going to be enrolled. He needs to remove them for enrollment for the starting school year. Did he think he would get away with this? I mean, I think he thought it would delay suspicion. Like, because if school starts, I I don't know, I would assume school would be starting within two weeks then. So he thought he would get, you know, more time. But I guess he failed to think like, hmm, I think probably family members and and friends are going to be missing these people. Yeah. Uh, Okay. So during all of the time that all of this searching is going on, Chris Watts was still at police headquarters being interrogated. At some point, he'd been given a chance to call his dad and he'd asked him to come. And so his dad, I don't know where his dad lived, but his dad had to board a plane. His dad mm-hmm. got on a plane, flew to police, like flew to Denver, drove to police headquarters, and he was still being interrogated at that point. Like seven hours had gone by. Yeah, yeah. And they... Had taken a break and he was able to see his dad for a minute. And then they went in and did like five more hours of interrogation. And his dad's just sitting at the station this whole time. Oh, God. And so investigators come out and they're like, Chris is refusing to speak to us. He wants to speak to you before he'll tell us anything. And so they let his dad go into the room with him, just the two of them, but they have cameras going. Of course. Yeah, they're watching. And like immediately upon seeing his father, Chris Watch just breaks down sobbing and he says i'm sorry dad i went into a rage oh my god and that's when chris told maybe his biggest lie yet he told his dad and then investigators that he'd been forced into strangling shenan to death after he caught her Strangling their daughter Celeste with Bella sprawled nearby, Shanann already having strangled her. Chris said that Shanann had killed the girls in retaliation after he told her he wanted a divorce. And when he saw through a baby monitor what she was doing, he went into a rage that she would harm their beautiful baby girls and he had no choice but to kill her. Is that not fucking disgusting? That makes me so angry. It makes me so mad. You killed all three of them, and then you're going to blame your dead wife. Yeah. It's disgusting. Then he loaded their bodies into the back of a truck, of his truck. Mm -hmm. I believe 
Bella and Celeste were put into trash bags Hmm. and that Shanann was wrapped in the sheet from the bed. And he'd taken them to that remote work site. He buried Shanann in a shallow grave and he put Bella and Celeste's bodies into big crude oil holding tanks. Oh, God. Yeah. Horrible. Investigators knew this confession was only half the truth, maybe. Yeah. But it was all they needed. At 11.30 p.m. on Wednesday, August 15th, just 69 hours after Shanann arrived home from her work trip, they placed Chris Watts under arrest and charged him with three counts of first-degree murder and three counts of tampering with a deceased human body. The following day, Shanann, Bella, and Celeste's bodies were recovered from the site. By this time, the story had become national news, and legal experts all over the country were speculating that this case would go on for years. Why? There were questions about how they could prove who killed the girls. (sighs) Would the crude oil they'd been soaking in tamper DNA evidence? If DNA transfer had been made by whoever strangled the girls, would that evidence Uh be gone because they had been soaking in crude oil for four days by the point that by the time they were recovered? Yeah. It seemed like there were several tactics that the defense could take to try and support Chris's claim that Shanann was the one who strangled the girls and that maybe his killing of her was justified. Then there was the question of the death penalty. Colorado does have the death penalty, um, though much like Kansas, they're not an active death penalty state. Mm -hmm. The last time they put someone to death was 1997, Um, And before that, it had been 20 plus years since the last execution. So um, I didn't look up how many people are currently on death row in Colorado. It's 37. It is not. You have no idea. (laughs) I have no idea. But all of these questions and speculation would come to an end with a request from someone you might not expect. Shanann's parents asked the district attorney to take the death penalty off the table. Their reasoning? They said, it's not our right to take the life of another person. It's not our choice to make. It's God's. Yeah. I just think that's such a powerful thing. Like in the, when they're in so much pain that their daughter and grandchildren have been taken from this, them in this horrible way that they're like, we can't decide that it's his time to die. That's not our right. They're being better than him. Yeah. Yeah. It's 100% being better than him. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. So with the death penalty off the table, Chris made a surprise move. At a hearing on November 6, 2018, he pled guilty to all counts. Wow. Including a count of unlawful termination of a human pregnancy that had been added. At Chris Watts' sentencing on November 19th, so this is like really fresh. His sentencing uh, yeah. just happened on November 19th. <laughs> Overachiever. <laughs> District Attorney Michael Rourke laid out what he believed to be the truth of what happened that day in August. So he believes that this whole thing was motivated by the affair. Mm -hmm. Chris wanted to leave his wife and be with his mistress. And so he smothered the two girls with Mm -hmm. pillows. The older girl fought back. She had defensive wounds on her arms and hands where she had fought him and 
Chris had some marks on his arm where she had like scratched him. Oh, I just, that's so fucking terrible. This is a, a four year old girl whose dad, who she trusts unconditionally is doing this to her. Yeah. That's, that's it's sickening. Horrifying. And then after killing the girls, he strangled Shanann and then he put the girl's body in tra- bodies in trash bags. Do they bags. think that Shanann was asleep when he was doing mm-hmm. this to the girls? Or, or possibly that the girls were already dead by the time she got home yeah. from the work trip. Oh. Mm-hmm. And that she discovered that when she got home and that's when he killed her. So he put their bodies in the truck, took them to work, buried Shanann, put the girls in the crude oil tanks. The opening to these oil tanks is eight inches in diameter. He squished their bodies through those tiny openings. They had scrapes all over their bodies from being shoved through there. It's fucking terrible. Why did you do this? So the, (laughs) (laughs) because it was really, a really big case that just happened. So while, the district attorney is described. He's taking them through all of these things in court. Chris Watts is just sitting there and he's got his head down and he's like shaking his legs mm-hmm. like uncontrollably, like jiggling the whole table, everything. Yeah. But he never looks up. He never makes eye contact with anyone. Nothing. What the hell was wrong with him? Uh, no idea. Ugh. Yeah. So after the district attorney walks the- through how everything took place, what they believe were the turn, the chain of events that took place that day. He then gave people a chance to speak to deliver victims' impact statements to the judge. Shanann's dad spoke, and he spoke directly to Chris. He didn't face them because of the way the courtroom is set up. Yeah, yeah. But he said, we trusted you, we loved you like you were our own son, and you took my daughter and granddaughters out like they were trash. You are a monster. Yeah. Then Shanann's mother spoke and she thanked the court for allowing her to speak. She thanked everyone who played a part in the quick resolution of the case. She thanked like the the FBI, all of the investigators. And then she said basically the same thing. I can't believe you would do this. I can't believe you would take our daughter and grandchildren away from us. Yeah. And basically we're better than you we took the death penalty off the table we begged for the district attorney to take it off the table yeah then shanann's brother got up and spoke and he said you were my brother i loved you and you took away my big sister who i looked up to my whole life and now my parents are living in hell yeah how dare you and all this same time, Chris is sitting at the table just looking down and, like, doing that thing where he's, like, shaking his legs. Yeah. Then Chris's parents spoke, not in defense of their son at all, but they spoke as victims. Mm-hmm. They said that they were basically the parents of Shanann. They loved her like she was their own child. And they were the grandparents of Bella and Celeste. Yeah. And they spoke through a court advocate who I thought this was kind of interesting. It was some advocate for the victim's bill of rights. And she read a prepared statement. They stood with her. And then they each read like, I think only actually Chris's mom read a little part, but the rest of it 
the advocate read because they just weren't able to. I think that's awesome. Oh, I think it's really awesome. And so she read this prepared statement and she actually started it by apologizing because there was this big thing that happened in the press. So after the initial confession came out that Chris had killed Shanann because Shanann had killed the two little girls, Chris's parents came out and said, well, that's what had to have happened because Chris never would have done this. That's what had to have happened. Uh Our son's not a monster. He couldn't have done this. And Shanann's parents were devastated that yeah. they would say that. Yeah. Because they're like, our, our daughter's not a monster. She never would have done this. Yeah. And so they apologized in court through this victim's advocate. And they said, you know, when we made that statement in that interview, we didn't have all the facts. We have all the facts now. And it is clear that Shanann is a victim and only a victim of this crime. That's so tough because, of course, you would never think that your child would be of capable course. of that. But at the same time... Yeah. Yeah, that makes it so much harder yeah. for Shanann's parents. They also said that they were not asking for leniency, mm-hmm. that they wanted Chris sentenced to whatever the judge felt he should be sentenced to, but that they loved their son. Yeah. And that they would always love their son. This was the only time that Chris was outwardly emotional. He had tears streaming down his face when they said that. Hmm. The advocate, the court advocate, did say in this statement that she hoped Chris would find it in his heart to give everyone the closure they deserved and offer a full confession when he felt the time was right, that he deserved that to everyone involved. Did you hear my stomach? stomach? Oh, my gosh. (laughs) And I just ate before you came over. (laughs) And they were the last to give their victim impact statement. After that, the judge asked the defense if they had anything to offer up, and the defense offered only one statement. So Chris Watts' attorney got up and said, Mr. Watts has asked us to share this morning that he is devastated by all of this. Although he understands that words are hollow at this point, he is sincerely sorry for all of this. Yeah, that's pretty hollow. Yeah. Um, When the judge asked Chris if he would like to make a statement of his own, he declined. Yeah. Before handing down his sentence, Judge Marcello A. Kopkow said, I've been a judicial officer now for starting my 17th year, and I could objectively say that this is perhaps the most inhumane and vicious crime that I've handled out of the thousands of cases that I have seen. Mm Mm-hmm. Nothing less than a maximum sentence could be appropriate. And anything less than that maximum sentence would depreciate the seriousness of this offense. Chris Watts was sentenced to three consecutive life terms in prison without the possibility of parole. Additionally, he was sentenced to two concurrent terms of life in prison for two additional murder charges for the murders of each of his daughters. So I think this is very interesting. So he was actually charged twice for each of his daughter's murders, once as a traditional first-degree murder charge Mm -hmm. and once as a first-degree murder by a person in a position of trust, 
which I didn't oh, even know that that was a thing. I didn't know that thing. was a thing either. Nope. And so, good, yeah, though. so he actually, he pled guilty to both of those for both of his daughters. So, uh-huh. so then he, for those, for that second charge of murder against each of them, he was sentenced to two terms of life in prison, but those would run concurrent. The other ones run consecutively. Okay. But the law requires that those two serve, that those two run concurrent. He also received the maximum sentence of 48 years for the unlawful termination of a human pregnancy. And finally, he received 12 years for the three counts of tampering with a deceased body. So dude's never getting out ever. He's done. He is done. And he should be. Yeah. God, that was awful. (laughs) Fucking horrible. So I did say at the beginning that this is all wrapped up in a little bow. Oh, is it not really, though? Well, this is all done. All of the criminal stuff is 100% done. But Shanann's family um, filed a wrongful death lawsuit against Chris Chris Watts today. So I don't know what their plan, what their, what the hope of that is. I don't know. I think maybe it would be to get anything that to keep him from profiting off of the case. Okay. Would be the only thing that I can imagine that would be to gain from that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So that's the Watts family murders, and it was fucking terrible. God. <laughs> you know, this is going to be a bad episode. And you're, you're about to talk about a serial killer. Okay, so well, actually, actually, okay. Oh, it's one of those lighthearted serial no. killers? No. <laughs> what makes it, is it three or more killings that makes you a serial killer? What's three, th- yes. Three killings, but they have to be separated. Three or more killings, but they have to be separated by a cooling off period between each murder. Mm. Then I don't think I'm doing a serial killer. Oh. <laughs> Oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> that's horrifying. <laughs> uh, it's it's going to be bad, but it's not. I don't think it counts as serial killer. Interesting. Well, yeah. No. Okay. All right. Are you, whoa. Are you going to jump right in? You don't have to pee? I don't. Whoa. Somebody mark it down. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe she's born with it. I've been doing bladder stretching exercises. Bladder oh. stretching my gosh jk jp i hope that's not a real thing wouldn't that just be holding it for a while i mean it, yeah, I it sounds horrifying but it doesn't well, i think it n- wouldn't horrifying. just be holding it for a while i think it'd be drinking like mass amounts of liquids and then holding it for a while why couldn't you just drink a normal amount of liquids then hold it for a while because if you're just drinking a normal amount of liquid and holding it you're not adding more liquid in once you're already holding it listen i don't want to get in a fight over this <laughs> Um, can we talk, by the way, about on our YouTube channel? <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> by the way, folks, we have 61 subscribers Whoa! on YouTube. So, you know, I was uploading a new episode to YouTube and someone commented on one of the episodes, hashtag Team Brandy. And I was like, wait, do you? Is there foul play? No. Oh, okay, okay. No, okay. I just okay. I just kind of love this story. <laughs> <laughs> so someone commented hashtag Team Brandy. And I was like, huh, okay, well, it must be on one of our episodes where we get into like a debate, debate over yeah. something. So I click on the episode to see which one it was. Now I can't remember which one it was. It's the Starkweather episode, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. Okay, yeah. Where we had no debate. There was no debate. So I texted Brandy. I was like, someone commented hashtag Team Brandy. And she's like, well, we didn't really get into an argument in that one. And it's like, uh, yeah, they're just saying they like you best. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, 
if it makes you feel any better, I'm hashtag Team Kristen all the way. That's like when my mom says that I'm great. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, we don't want you to pick a favorite, guys. I do, and I want them to pick me. <laughs> we just hope everyone has a great time. <laughs> okay, moving on. So this this comes mostly from the article Murder by Craigslist by Hannah Rawson in The Atlantic. Mm. So I call this the other Craigslist killer because when I think Craigslist killer... I think of that Boston med student yeah. guy. Yeah. Um, that's who I think of, too. Which, that's a fun one. Yeah. Well, not sorry. Yeah, it's super fun. Yeah, I know. I has terrible sex stuff. <laughs> so it's just right up Kristen's alley. It is. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know about this one? I, I'm not based off of this so far. Okay. David Polly was down on his luck. He was 51, unemployed. He'd just gotten divorced, and he was living in his brother's spare bedroom in Norfolk, Virginia. The article said that he couldn't put up his poster of, like, Heidi Klum in a bikini. That really set him off? I think that's so weird when men do that. Put up posters of women? I think that is woman repellent. And I'll, <laughs> well, tell, yeah. I'll tell you why. Do you really want to be naked in a room where there's like a poster of a perfect looking woman <laughs> half naked? <laughs> this is a PSA to all the men out there. Take those posters down. Yes. Okay. So tan- small tangent. Sure. I have told you endlessly how much I love a podcast that I'm listening to right now. Mm-hmm. Armchair Expert with Dak Shepard. You are a huge fan. Huge yeah. fan. Um, so because I. Backstory, I already loved Dak Shepard before he came out with his podcast. Like, I've really liked him for years. I love how honest he is about uh, he, about who he is and about his story and, you know, his battles with addiction and all of that. I just really love that. And I love him and Kristen Bell together. So, anyway, through this podcast, I've learned a lot about them, which is just the greatest thing in the world to me. <laughs> but so they have a poster of Antonio Banderas above their bed. They <laughs> like do? Like, on their ceiling above their bed. That's so weird. Yes. Why? It started out as like a joke because um, Dax found out that Kristen had a picture of Antonio Banderas like in a thong on her bedroom wall when she was a teenager. Uh And he was like, you didn't like that. You just did that because your other your friends were putting up posters. And she was like, you're 100 percent right. I didn't even get it. (laughs) (laughs) She always jokes that she went through puberty at like 26. She was just like what her friends were doing. And so she just like picked the first poster and put it up. And so then someone got him an Antonio Banderas poster and they put it above their bed and it's still there on the ceiling. Um, Speaking of jokes that become too real. Yeah. So a long running thing that Norman and I have is I will ask him, would you like to be the best husband ever? Which, of course, you have to say yes. Yeah. And, like, it's always like, will you fill my water bottle? Yeah. Will you get me another cup of coffee? Yeah. It's usually linked to beverages with you. It's almost always a (laughs) beverage thing. And so he always rolls his eyes, and he's kind of like, okay, you know, the joke is done. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile. But he does it anyway, right? He does it anyway. And I, Mm -hmm. he wants to be the best husband ever. Yeah. 
Anyway, fast forward to last week. I was at Marshall's. I went to the bathroom. On my way to the bathroom in Marshall's, I saw a display of mugs, and one of them said, best husband ever. <laughs> and I was like, I obviously have, have to buy to get it. that, yeah. So I got in line, and I was like, I realized, like, this is really embarrassing. <laughs> because there are going to be people who don't buy these things ironically. Oh, yeah. And so I brought it to the checkout, and I almost told the woman... Like, hey, you know, <laughs> this is just a joke. But then I realized she doesn't, she doesn't give, give a, a shit. fuck. Kristen. Yeah, she's like, she's just scanning <laughs> yeah. stuff. Anyway, so now Norman has a best husband ever mug. He just he showed me his award when I got here well, today. You know, gotta rub that in everybody's face. Anyway, that was a long tangent. Quite the tangent. <laughs> okay, so David Polly down on his luck, unemployed. One day, while he was sitting around looking at job postings on Craigslist, he found the perfect job. The ad read, Wanted, caretaker for a farm. Simply watch over a 688-acre patch of hilly farmland and feed a few cows. You get $300 a week and a nice two-bedroom trailer. Someone older and single preferred, but will consider all. Relocation a must. You must have a clean record and be trustworthy. This is a permanent position. The farm is used mainly as a hunting preserve, is overrun with game, has a stocked three-acre pond, and some beef cattle will be kept. Nearest neighbor is a mile away. The place is secluded and beautiful. It will be a real getaway for the right person. Job of a lifetime. If you're ready to relocate... Please contact ASAP. Position will not stay open. Hmm. So David is overjoyed. This seemed like the perfect job for him, and he immediately applied. The job would be in Ohio, but David was up for the adventure. Plus, his best friend since high school, Chris Mall, already lived in Ohio. Mm-hmm. So he sent off a very eager email. That listing sounds familiar. Really? Yeah. I'm wondering if I know this. So far, that's the only thing that sounds familiar. Okay. You might know this one. Hmm. Okay. A few days later, a man named Jack replied to David's email. He said, hey, good news. You are one of my top three candidates. I just have a few more questions for Mm -hmm. you. Number one, are you married? Number two. Have you ever been arrested for a felony? Number three, will anyone miss you if you go missing? Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> also, if I choose you, you have to start immediately. Can you do that? <laughs> so David answered all the questions and had a few more phone calls with Jack. And a few days later, he got the job. Wow. He was elated. He immediately called his best friend Chris on their walkie-talkie phones. Is that a joke? No. Oh, no, like the Nextel ones? Like, Which, burp, burp, I, I gotta say, I've come to really like David from reading these articles, but I had a roommate once who had those walkie-talkie phones. Those things are fucking annoying. Do you guys know what we're talking... They're the, the ones that, like, they look like walkie-talkies, and they go, beep, beep, yeah. and then someone talks. Ugh. Fucking the worst. Yeah. So they're on their walkie-talkie phones. And, you know, David's talking excitedly about the job. He's feeling like things are finally going to turn around for him. Then David called his twin sister, Deb, 
And she was like, oh, God, you know, I hate that you're going to be so far away, but, you know, just make sure you come home for the holidays. So with some help from his church, David got a U-Haul, loaded up all of his stuff, and took off for Ohio. Mm -hmm. On October 22nd, 2011, he pulled into a hotel near Marietta, Ohio. He called his sister and said, hey, I'm going to meet my new boss tomorrow morning. We're having breakfast at Bob Evans. Excellent. (laughs) Nothing wrong with that. No. Who doesn't like a good Bob Evans? Then he called his BFF, Chris. And Chris was like, I'm so excited for you. Hey, as soon as you're done with your boss, give me a call. Let me know exactly where you are so that I can come down on Saturday and we can hang out. David's like, sure. Yeah. By the way, these two talked... Uh, Chris estimated 50 times a day. 50 times? Yeah. I cannot even imagine. So, you know, they kept their phones on, like, their nightstands. And it said that before they even got up and brushed their teeth in the morning, they'd be talking. Like the... Yep. Hmm. I mean, these dudes were like... It made me think... The only thing I can compare it to is, like... When we would, like, go to school with each other all day, we'd come home, we'd eat a snack, and then yeah. we'd turn on, like, Jenny Jones. And, and call each other and watch it together on the phone. And discuss Jenny Jones. Yeah. But, I mean, we were 12-year-old girls. Yeah. And even, that wasn't 50 times a day. No. No. 50 times a day? Yeah. I mean, you're doing anything 50 times a day that's too much. I wonder how many times I pee a day. Estimate. Um, okay. Estimate, 20? You think you pee 20 times a day? I pee a lot. Holy hell. These are the consequences of working from home. You can get up and pee whenever you want. Yeah. (laughs) Unlike me, who has to put in a written request to be able to pee. Well, (laughs) you can't just, like, Yeah, I couldn't just, like, stop a highlight and go pee. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no. But, like, who's going to give me side eye? No one. <laughs> Peanut. Yeah, probably. Yeah, we'll be like, bitch again. <laughs> Doesn't sound like I'm bragging. <laughs> you know, they've got these plans. David's supposed to call Chris immediately when he's done talking to the boss. But the next day comes and there's no phone call. Chris tried calling him, doesn't get a response. So he got the number for David's boss, Jack. And Jack was like, oh, Right. Well, I just gave him a bunch of chores to do. But hey, I'll see him tomorrow. I'll let you know he called. Mm-hmm. A few more days go by. Nothing. Chris calls David again. Nothing. So he calls Jack again. And this time Jack is like, oh, boy, weird story. Mm-hmm. Here's the thing. David left. Okay. He met some dude in town who was headed to Pennsylvania. Apparently, this guy was doing some work on a drilling rig, and David decided to go with him. Okay. Okay, goodbye. Yeah. <laughs> Super believable. So, immediately, Chris was like, no. no. Yeah, I think he forgot to ask question four in the interview process. Do you have a best friend who you talk to 50, 50 times, times a day? day. <laughs> So, I mean, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, because, like, yeah, he's not married. Yeah, he can get up at a whim and go move to Ohio, but he's oh got someone gosh. he talks yeah. to constantly. He talks a day! So, 
you know, Chris is like, no, this makes no sense. No we talk sense. to each other uh-uh. all the time. It makes no sense that he would all of a sudden stop calling. Yeah. So now we're in November. I'm loving your eyeshadow today, by the way. Are you really? So, seriously, yeah. Okay, thank you. Love it. I was worried that it was a little too much. No. Okay. It's just enough. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> you guys, Brandy winked at me and it makes me really uncomfortable. <laughs> you inspired me to buy it. I did? Yeah, because remember last week I was like, oh, I want the new Urban Decay eyeshadow yeah. palette, but I'm going to wait for it to go on sale. And you were like, you know it's not going to go on sale. You know the ones they're going to put on sale are the ones you already own. And I, I like, did say that, and I bet I was 100% correct. You're probably right. <laughs> They'll probably put on like the Naked Basics palette, yeah. which I've had for like four years. Yeah. I love talking about this stuff knowing that we have a... Don't we have like a mostly we have a pretty male, heavy male, yeah, listener, audience. listening body, listening listenership, listen, listening dudes, listening dudes. Our listening dudes are mostly male, <laughs> <laughs> and they don't give two shits. shits about eyeshadow. They're like the urban what? <laughs> anyway, guys, uh, the urban back to the murder. Oh damn it! Oh wait, what are you gonna say? No, I- which palette did you get? The wild cherry. Whoa. Yeah. I was thinking maybe if they needed Christmas gifts. I don't yeah. know. You're, the lady in your life would love a wild cherry. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> That's horrible. Well, yeah, when you say it like that and you make that face. <laughs> How did you turn that dirty? <laughs> Did I turn it dirty or did you? You for sure did. All I said is the lady in your life would love a wild cherry. And then you made a really funny (laughs) face. Okay, so now we're in November. Mm -hmm. Oh, my God. I changed Chris's name to Paul. (laughs) What the hell? Okay. close it's just like (laughs) judge joe mathis like where did we get that so (laughs) listen everyone try to keep up this story involves a lot of different people and i'm going to change their names halfway through it just according to what i feel like doing holy shit oh you know what i think it's because david's last name is polly and so i anyway i got confused (laughs) So Chris <laughs> calls David's twin sister Deb. He's like, I'm super worried. And she's like, that makes two of us. Because by this point, she also suspected that something was up. Mm-hmm. And Deb sounds like a rock star. So she'd already done some digging. She'd called the hotel where her brother had stayed. They didn't have any info. She'd called the U-Haul rental place. They didn't have any info. Mm-hmm. So she's just sitting around worrying and thinking like, you know, okay, what more can I think of? What did he tell me about this job that that I yeah. can work with here? And that's when something popped into her mind. Ooh. Cambridge. Cambridge, Ohio. That's where this farm was supposedly located. Ooh. So she gets out her computer, she Googles Cambridge, Ohio, and she comes across the Daily Jeffersonian, which is the local newspaper. Jeffersonian. <laughs> What? <laughs> I like it. I okay. like the sound of it. 
So she's on that site. She's looking at the headlines. And that's when she comes across this one. Man says he was lured here for work, then shot. Holy shit. Deb freaked yeah. out. The article was a few days old. It didn't say who the man was, but it did have a few details that sounded creepily familiar. The man said he'd been hired to work on a 688-acre ranch. Mm-hmm. The article also included the name of the local sheriff, oh, thank God Stephen Hannum. kicked on. It's 12 degrees in here, Chris. Oh, my God. Are you freezing, too? I am dying. <laughs> Don't worry. The heat just kicked on. It'll get up to 13 Oh, here my soon. gosh. Yeah, Norman likes it real cold. I thought I was good wearing a sweatshirt. Uh, apparently not. Wear my parka next time. Yeah. So Deb called that police yeah. station immediately. She explained the situation. She said, I just read an article about a man who was lured to Ohio for work. And it sounds a lot like what may have happened to my brother. Mm -hmm. Can you help me? The police were like, you're kidding. Because that man from the newspaper article, the one who'd been lured to Ohio and then shot, his story had initially seemed so strange that police had kind of thought he was full of shit. Oh, my gosh. So that man was Scott Davis, and uh-huh. here was his story. Scott was living in South Carolina when he stumbled across his dream job on Craigslist. $300 a week, free housing, living on a huge farm. He applied, got the job, packed up all of his possessions, and moved to Ohio. Mm-hmm. His new boss, Jack, said, Hey, we'll start your first day by meeting for breakfast. I'll see you at the Shoney's in Marietta. What? No Bob Evans? You know, another article I saw said Waffle House. I'm very upset that we can't just, you know, nail this down. Man, we used to have a Shoney's here when I was a kid. I loved it. Okay, I loved it too. Why did you love it? It's, they had a salad bar. It was oh, amazing. What? That's why you liked it? Yeah, I got soup and salad bar when I was like seven. Okay, I loved it because, do you remember the big tree they had yeah. with the lollipops in yeah. it? Okay, how were you a seven-year-old who was obsessed with the salad bar, but not the lollipop you tree? anything on that. So they were so, that was the biggest salad bar I've ever seen in my life. What did you put on your salad? Oh, man, probably nothing of any kind of nutritional value when I was well, seven. Well, sure. But, I mean, they didn't have marshmallows. No, but, like, little chunks of ham oh, and pepperonis. Yeah. Turkey. And, ham. Yeah, ham slash turkey. <laughs> Who knows which one it was. <laughs> cheese. Big bucket of cheese. Yeah, cottage cheese. Soup. You put that in the bowl. And then they had oyster crackers for your soup. Oh, yeah. Oh. Huh. Now I'm huh. getting hungry. And then if it was your birthday, you got, like, a giant piece of chocolate cake with a candle <laughs> in it. If you went there for the breakfast buffet, it had mini donuts on it. My grandma loved Shoney, so we went there a lot. It was close to her house. Um, Shoney's was frequented by old people and little kids. Yep. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's the problem. Yeah. The people with money didn't like Shoney's. That's why Shoney Mm -hmm. is no more. Yep. They had a bear. I used to get like these little stuffed bears there. The Shoney bear. Yeah, no. I I remember him standing by the tree. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. Clearly, to me, it was all about the lollipop. That was all I wanted. Clearly. I remember I used to show off because, like, Kyla and I would both get a lollipop, and she would, like, crunch into hers immediately like like a fool. Yeah, I'm like, oh, it's so good. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> I still have mine. What happened to yours? <laughs> so anyway. So they go to Shoney's for breakfast. They go to Shoney's. No word on whether they got lollipops. Uh-huh. That morning, Jack showed up with his nephew, Brogan. No. That's what? a real name? Brogan. Brogan? Believe me, I caught myself trying to change it to Logan and Reagan. <laughs> I mean, I hope I caught all the times. I had to do like a, you know, yeah. control F, find that, change it out. So, yeah. Brogan. <laughs> they all ate some breakfast. Jack said, hey, let's head out to the farm. You can leave your truck and trailer in the parking lot of the Food Center Emporium. Mm-hmm. Don't worry, you can pick up your stuff later. Scott was like, cool. So the three of them get into Brogan's car, and they're riding along the road, and Scott is looking at his cell phone, and the further they go, the worse his service gets, until finally he has no bars. Mm-hmm. Then Jack told his nephew to pull over. He said, drop us where we got that deer last time. Jack told Scott, oh, we left some equipment down here by the creek. Can you help me with it? So Scott says, sure. He gets out. He follows Jack down toward the creek. But then Jack kind of looks around, and it seems like maybe he's lost. So at this point, Jack is behind Scott. And Scott hears, click. Hmm. And then he hears Jack say, shit. Oh, my gosh. So Scott spins around, and there's Jack standing with a gun pointed in his face. So Scott throws his hands up, and Jack shoots him again. This time, it shattered Scott's elbow. Oh! Oh. Yep, yep. So he turns to run, and he runs through the woods as fast as he can, kind of ducking and weaving and bobbing. The whole time, Jack kept shooting at him. Bullets whizzed by Scott, but none of them hit. So... Scott, like, I cannot even imagine this. So Scott's in the woods, in this area he's not familiar with at Uh all, all, and he's terrified that Brogan and Jack are going to come find him, obviously. Yeah. So he's hiding, he's moving, he's hiding. Meanwhile, he's bleeding profusely. Oh, yeah, and leaving a trail. Yep, there's blood everywhere, as you like to Mm -hmm. say. He said he wanted to lay down and die. not quite the emphasis I use when I say it, but... Okay, dramatic pause. There was blood everywhere. (laughs) He wanted to lay down and die. Yeah. But he said just something in him urged him to stay awake. He waited and waited. He waited until the sun started to go down so that he'd have better cover. Mm -hmm. Then he walked back to the main road. And he walked Seven miles. Holy shit. With a blown out elbow, just dripping blood. Yes. Eventually, he found this isolated house, and he went and knocked on the door. A nine-year-old kid answered the door. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Can you imagine? Yeah, he'd be like, what the fuck? Ah. Eventually, an adult came to the door. Thank goodness. Uh, The adult hadn't answered it because he'd been watching Jeopardy. Oh, Mm mm-hmm. Which I gotta say, the guy was like, "Yeah, it was really weird to have a visitor because we don't normally have people just show up because we're on during this Jeopardy." Yeah, and it's like, <laughs> so you sent the kid to go answer the door, right? <laughs> so this guy sees Scott and he's like, "Holy shit!" He calls nine one one. The sheriff shows up. Scott tells Sheriff Stephen Hannum the whole story. Yeah. 
but the story doesn't make sense. The sheriff listened and was like, okay, you came here for a job on a 688-acre cattle ranch? I think people say it's 688. <laughs> I realized that. I, I think that's the common pronunciation. <laughs> I left out the word acre, so it really messed me up. <laughs> and that's just one of the reasons why this didn't make sense. <laughs> Scott said it was a 688. No, so the sheriff was like, we don't have a ranch of that size around here for cattle. Like, that's just weird. And then Scott's like, oh, the guy's probably trying to steal my Harley. The sheriff was super skeptical. He figured, all right, this is obviously a drug deal gone wrong. Uh This guy's giving me this bullshit. Okay. Oh, my gosh. So the sheriff called his informants. But none of them had any intel on this Scott guy. You know, he was expecting someone would know the real story. Yeah. Then, a little while later, police officers found Scott's truck and trailer in the food center emporium, exactly where he said it would be. Uh Uh-huh. And then, a few days later, the police got that phone call from Deb, saying, hey, I think something similar happened to my brother. So the police were like, holy shit. Not only is this Scott guy telling the truth but we might have an honest to god murderer on our hands so they spring into action both of these stories involved a craigslist ad so the sheriff's office called in a specialist from the fbi they needed someone to help them figure out who had written the ad Mm -hmm. at the same time they got some cadaver dogs and went back to where scott said he'd been shot and that's where they found david's body They also found an empty grave nearby, Uh, which was meant for Scott. Yeah. Which, oh, man. I mean, I guess by that point, Scott had already been through so much, but I just cannot imagine knowing. Yeah, no shit. Oh. They were like, oh, my God, we've got to find whoever did this right away. Oh, yeah. So they went through the surveillance footage from Scott's breakfast meeting with Jack They worked and worked and worked to ID the guy in the footage. Okay, some news sources said he looked like Santa Claus. I disagree. I think he looked like a bloated Colonel Sanders because he didn't look jolly to me. He he had a very... (laughs) What? Very spicy. (laughs) Clearly not jolly enough to be Santa. (laughs) Okay, I'm going to have you look him up in a minute. I will. And you tell me. In fact, I'm going to have you look him up right now. Okay. Pretty soon, they figured out who he was. His name was Richard Beasley. Specifically, I'm thinking of this one picture of him in court. He's got a cane. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, he does kind of look like Santa in his prison jumpsuit that's white. How do you spell Beasley? Because I'm just getting randos. How are you spelling Beasley? I don't know. (laughs) B-E-E. You gotta throw an A in there. B E A S L E Y. Well, a hundred Richard Beasleys came up with this spelling, so don't act like I'm the crazy person. Okay, do Richard Beasley Craigslist. Oh, yeah, this guy does not look like fucking Santa. Get out of here. Although those red and white stripes do read a little, I, a little Christmas. They do look a little candy cane ish, <laughs> yeah. don't they? Yeah. <laughs> okay, where's the. There's one of him in court in a suit that I swear it's the Colonel. I mean, yeah, okay, I'm looking. Oh yeah, this one, this little this little gem right here. Oh yeah, that's the one. Yeah, that's the yeah, one. Yeah, I could see that. That makes me crave a bucket right yeah, there. Yeah, it's yeah. The colonel has 
more hair than that. This guy's thinning a bit. Okay, well, get him some extensions, mm-hmm. and you got a dead ringer. Mm-hmm. Spoiler alert, I know how this ends now. Oh, did you think he was a good guy the whole time? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry for ruining it for you. <laughs> okay. Yeah, they find, they figure out who it was. It was Richard Beasley, mm-hmm. who, as Brandy has just now figured out, she had no idea. I had no idea he's he was a, a bad, bad guy. guy. <laughs> Did you call him Paul here? I, <laughs> Look at your face. I, I swear, I read through this last night. Okay, here, I'm going to read to you from what I okay. geniusly wrote up. Excellent. Pretty soon, they figured out who it was. His name was Richard Beasley. Next sentence. Around that same time, they figured out who had posted the Craigslist ad. It was Richard Beasley. (laughs) (laughs) Two big reveals back to back. (laughs) And oh, oh, wait for it. It was the same Same Richard Richard Beasley. Beasley. One of his two different Richard Beasleys, one spelled it (laughs) B-E-E-S-L-E-Y. So they traced the post back to a small house in Akron, Ohio. Akron, Ohio, is it? How do you say it? Akron. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) So they went to the house, and a man named Joe... In Acorn, Ohio. (laughs) In the acorn, deep in the acorn. And a man named Joe opened the door. He did not look like the colonel. Mm. So police were like, that's not great. Yeah. They asked him, have you ever posted any ads on Craigslist? And Joe said no. They're like, well, shit. What about in the casual encounter section, <laughs> sir? <laughs> they asked him, do you know a Richard Beasley? Mm-hmm. Joe said no. They asked him, do you know a Jack? Joe said no. Wait, did they check to see if Joe knew any other words? <laughs> Is your name Joe? No. No. (laughs) Oh, wait. I've got it figured out. Joe has been living deep in the acorn. He's been taught one word. So finally, they pull out a picture of Richard. And that's when Joe was like, oh, you mean Ralph. What? Terribly nice guy. He was renting. Looks a bit like Santa, don't you (laughs) think? So he was kind of like you were like a minute ago. He thought, just a nice great guy. guy. Yeah. He was renting a room for me for a while. Real buttoned up type of guy. Doesn't drink, doesn't cuss, doesn't smoke, goes to church. You know, I, I have his cell phone number right here. You want me to call him for uh, you? Please. And they were like, uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> so he called Ralph and investigators traced the call. They traced it to another house in Akron, Ohio, where he was renting a room. Hmm. On November 16th, on November 16th, (laughs) a SWAT team arrested Richard at the house. Another source said that they arrested him on the street, but I feel like SWAT team. Yeah. In all the movies, the SWAT team comes to your house. Rolling up to him on the street. No. Yeah. So... Let's just go with what I've seen in movies. But police still had to find someone else. Scott had told them that Richard had a young accomplice, Brogan, the nephew. 
This part was real easy. Turns out Brogan was not a pseudonym. Brogan Rafferty was a junior at Stowe Monroe Falls High School. Wow. So police drove down to the high school. They interviewed Brogan in the principal's office and they searched his home. <laughs> That's not what you're expecting when you get called to the principal's office. Uh, I'm no, guessing. I mean, yeah. you know you're in trouble, but yeah. damn. Oof. Were you ever called to the principal's office? Uh, one time I was in elementary school. What? Yeah, but not because I was in trouble. Okay. To win so, an award for being so great? For being so amazing. <laughs> no. You remember where my, how my mom's house backed up right to the elementary school? Yeah. Right? Yeah. So they made this big deal all the time about how you weren't allowed to walk on the grass. And so my mom was like, just walk out of the backyard and walk to the school. And I was like, no, I'm not allowed to because you can't walk on the grass. Uh-huh. And so she's like, no, just do that and then just get off the grass like as soon as you get to the sidewalk. Right. And I was like, no, it's not allowed. And so I was walking all the way down my street and around the corner and up another street uh-huh. so that I didn't cut through the grass. You were such I was afraid a rule to get follower. in trouble. Well, yeah. I was like seven. Yeah. So. Yeah. And so I got called to the principal's office. So our principal, Mr. Cheeves, yeah, he was could so tell sweet. me that I had permission to walk through the grass until I got to the sidewalk so I didn't have to walk all the way around the neighborhood to get to school. That's so sweet. It was awesome. (laughs) God, that warms my heart. Yeah. He was such a good guy. He was a really good guy. Yeah, really great principal. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, well, your one trip to the principal's (laughs) office is nothing like this one. So as they're talking to Brogan, they're also learning more about Richard Beasley. He was born and raised in Akron, Ohio. Excellent. He had been in and out of prison for burglary and firearms love charges. It. But <laughs> you love which one do you love more? Burglary or firearms? Firearms. Yeah. <laughs> for the record, don't own a firearm, never have. Just a big fan. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> But by the mid-2000s, he was out of prison, and he'd turned his life around. He'd found God. Oh. Yeah. Mm. He was doing the Lord's work, killing those people? Wait, how did you find out that he's the bad guy? (laughs) (laughs) So Richard knew Brogan's dad, Michael. When Brogan was about eight, he told his dad he wanted to go to church. So his dad had sole custody of Brogan. And didn't have a ton of time on his hands, was not really into church. So he said, okay, if you want to go to church, you can go with Richard. So for years, Richard took Brogan to church. Mm -hmm. Sometimes he'd also take his own daughter and Brogan's half-sister. So they'd go to church. He'd take them out to McDonald's after. They'd talk about God. They'd talk about the importance of living drug-free. You know, Mm -hmm. Richard was Brogan's mentor. There's no other way of putting this. Richard was a great guy. In 2009, <laughs> in 2009, he started a halfway house for runaways and sex workers and drug addicts. He would drive around town looking for people to take back home and just give them some help. Don't look at me like that. Mm-hmm. He, I just told you he's a great guy. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. I forgot. Wow. How great of him. Yeah. Uh-huh. If they ever had legal trouble, he'd go to court with them and vouch for them to the judge. He'd say, hey, this person turned over a new leaf. I introduced them to God. This person and God are now best friends. Don't worry. (laughs) This person and God are now best friends. 
So life was good. Mm-hmm. At least that's how it seemed. Mm. One night, Richard picked up a woman named Amy Soller. Amy was a sex worker, and she said she was addicted to crack. And she said that initially, Richard was like her savior. Yeah. There were a few other sex workers in the halfway house who Richard was trying to help. But after a while, Richard changed his style. Instead Ooh. of keeping the women... Ooh, I love that rhyme that you did. But Ooh. after a while, Richard changed his style. <laughs> I just spat everywhere. Wonderful. Yeah. Scoot closer. <laughs> Instead of keeping the women from a life of prostitution, he became their pimp. Mm, imagine that. And he occasionally supplied them with drugs. Weird. Yeah, total plot twist. Yeah. No one saw this coming. No, I thought he was a great guy. I know, we all did. He fooled all of us. <laughs> so in February of 2011, he got arrested on drug charges. While he was in jail, authorities caught wind of the little prostitution scheme, so they started building their case. Mm-hmm. But when he got out on bond, Richard went on the run. But being on the run is difficult. He realized that he, if he really wanted to not get caught, he needed a new identity. And that's when he came up with a plan. Mm-hmm. In the post-recession era, older white dudes were kind of bummed out. They were out of work. They were feeling unsure of themselves. And Richard realized that he could take advantage of that. Oh, my gosh. So he sought out men who kind of looked like him. Mm -hmm. And he sold them a fantasy that they desperately wanted to believe in. This idea that they could have steady, manly work on an isolated farm. Mm -hmm. He sought out unmarried men who were willing to uproot their lives at a moment's notice. So he, so that he could take their identity? Is that the... That's how it started. Okay. By the way, one of the sources said he he sought men who looked like him. I think he did that with this first guy. Mm-hmm. But, like, uh, he was really... I'm Maybe he no. thought he was getting better looking. Uh, yeah, that's what I'm trying <laughs> to say. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> His skewed view of himself. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Because none of these other dudes looked like Look the colonel. Like <laughs> so he asked Brogan to help him. On to Brogan. Brogan was 16 when he was arrested for his involvement in mm-hmm. this. And initially, he took a deal with investigators. By this point, they had enough evidence to suggest that Richard Beasley was experienced mm-hmm. in this. But Brogan's testimony would really help their case. So they said, okay, Brogan, if you testify against Richard, we'll only charge you with complicity to murder and attempted murder in the cases of David Polly and Scott Davis. What kind of sentence does that carry? I don't know because this all went to shit. Oh, okay. So it was really hard to track down what exactly yeah. happened, um, but we'll get into it more. Okay. But initially they had this deal. Initially Brogan talked. Then he was like, mm, I was coerced into talking. It was this whole big mm-hmm. thing. They were like, we know of two other murders. We won't charge you with anything in those other murders. So that was the initial agreement. Like I said, later on, he backs out of the deal. So Brogan talks to the police, and he tells them that it all started with a man named Ralph Geiger. When Richard met Ralph, Ralph was staying at a homeless shelter. Brogan initially told investigators that Richard said he needed a new identity and that Ralph looked a lot like him and he wanted to murder him. Uh. So they drove out to that spot in the woods, 
and Richard shot Ralph. Brogan said that he had no idea this was coming. Yeah. Um, that he was terrified and shocked, and he said he worried that if he told anybody that Richard would then kill him or kill his family. Mm-hmm. Later on, Brogan's dad said, he was just scared and didn't see a way out. Heroes aren't born at 16. Hmm. Yeah. I kind of agree. I kind of agree. Yeah. So Brogan struggled quite a bit after that murder. He got moody. He wrote some poetry and got really quiet. How was the poetry? You know, I wrote in the script that it was bad poetry, but then I started thinking about the poetry that I wrote when I was 16. I'm in no place to judge. I mean, I think I was critical of it because it's not really a poem. It's just like, basically, uh, I witnessed a murder. And it's just kind of, yeah. Oh, that hurts. Yeah. That's sad. But meanwhile, so Brogan's struggling. Richard is living his best life as Ralph. He dyed his hair, got a prescription for pain meds, got a job, but was not really a fan of working. And murder had worked out so well for him. Mm -hmm. So he thought, hey, why not murder again? But this time I murder someone who has some cool stuff. So that's when he created the Craigslist ad. And around that time, he heard about the show Storage Wars, Mm -hmm. which this is like the second time that we're talking about reality TV shows Uh based around storage. storage. (laughs) (laughs) So he's like, hmm, neat. So he starts telling people, oh, yeah, I buy stuff at auction and I sell it. Mm -hmm. So later, when he started selling stuff that belonged to these dead men, people were like, oh, right, Ralph just sells things. That's his thing. So he killed David Polly, sold all his stuff, attempted to kill Scott Davis, but then, rather than lay low, he decided to kill again. Mm-hmm. He was out of money. What else could he do? So exactly one week after he shot Scott Davis, while police were working frantically to track him down, Richard lured another man to Ohio. This time it was Timothy Kern. He was a divorced dad of two teenage sons, and he'd recently lost his job. Mm-hmm. So Timothy saw the job posting, applied, and was super excited to get the job. He wasn't thrilled about moving away from his sons, but he thought this sounded like a good opportunity. Yeah. So Timothy met Richard and Brogan, and Richard was like, uh, so what sort of stuff did you bring with you? You mentioned in your emails that you had a laptop and a flat screen TV? And Timothy was like, oh, well, yeah, I had that stuff. But, you know, I gave that stuff to my sons. I and he basically he showed up with like a couple trash bags full of clothes, five dollars and a pack of cigarettes. At that point, Brogan says he started to feel sick because he realized we're killing this guy for his stuff and he doesn't even have stuff. Yeah. He loves his kids. He left Everything that was valuable mm-hmm. for his kids. So now we're literally going to kill this guy for some trash bags of clothes. Yeah. He said, I get half a pit in my stomach because as the story goes on and on, I'm realizing that I'm about to help Beasley do this for no reason at all. Not that I even wanted to do it at all. But it takes like all the minimal sanity and reason out of doing this. It would be like if a lion killed a zebra just to kill it, just because it wanted like its hoof or something. The man literally, I think, had $5 in his pocket. 
Wow. This time, they didn't take Timothy to the usual spot in the woods, obviously. Yeah. They took him behind a shitty mall. They got parked, and Richard said, Hey, I lost my watch in the woods over here. Can you help me find find it? So Timothy got out, and Richard followed him. And Richard shot Timothy five times before he died. Yeah. Five times? Yeah. So I I left some of this out, but, like, my understanding is the first shot, like, shot him in the head. And, like, he kept breathing. Oh, God. At his trial, Brogan was tried as an adult. But since he was a juvenile, the death penalty was not on the table. In their opening statements, the defense said, There is a monster in this case. And that monster is not Brogan Rafferty. The monster in this case is Richard Beasley. Mm -hmm. They said Brogan was afraid of Richard. He was worried that Richard would hurt him or hurt his family if he went to the police. So the defense focused on what a rough life Brogan had. Well, yeah, don't you think that's true? Yes. I totally think it's true. Yeah. Um, We'll get to the sentencing here. Like, I I feel sorry for Brogan. Uh Uh-huh. I know most people don't, and I know that's probably going to be an unpopular opinion, but one of his guidance counselors testified that Brogan raised himself. When he was five years old, Brogan would get himself ready for school and walk to the bus by himself. And that's so sad. I do want to say, like, the reason that happened was because his dad was working. Mm -hmm. So, but his mom, I understand, struggled with drugs Mm -hmm. early on. So she was kind of out of the picture. The defense also pointed out that he had no prior record. But prosecutors argued that Brogan absolutely could have done something to stop the crimes. Scott Davis was the star witness. He talked about sharing a meal with Brogan the morning he was shot. He told the whole harrowing story. Mm-hmm. And they asked him, when you met Brogan, did he seem nervous? Did he seem scared? And Scott said no. Then, in November of 2012, the jury found Brogan Rafferty guilty. At his sentencing, Brogan said that Richard was evil and deceitful. He said he wished he would have done something to stop the murders. What was he supposed to do? I mean, he was supposed to go to the police. I just think he was so young and it sounds like he didn't have a ton of guidance. And this was, was a man who say, had been grooming him. Yeah, somebody, he was he was a kid who didn't get a lot of attention. He finally found someone who gave him attention. Mm-hmm. And, and then this happened. Yeah. This guy who introduced him to religion, who, yeah. Uh, yeah, I, yeah. Judge Lynn Callahan said that Brogan had been, quote, dealt a lousy hand in life but he had embraced the evil. Mm. She sentenced him to life in prison without parole. Wow. Yeah, I... Gosh, that seems harsh. I completely agree. I think he should have gotten parole. Mm. Yeah. At least, I mean... Yeah, I struggle with that Oh, that's tough. I don't know that I... Yeah, I think that's, you just took that kid's life away. Mm-hmm. And it's, you were, you took that kid's life away and you were expecting him to make a decision that would put his own life at risk. Yeah. To, and I think that's a, that's a lot to expect from a 16 year old kid. I completely agree. Yeah. 
<sighs> yeah, I don't think that's the right sentence for him. I agree that he made that he could have gone to police. He should have gone to the police. Oh, yeah, of course. But he's a scared kid thinking, like, if I do that, this he'll just kill me. I've seen him kill people. Yeah. I I think that some form of punishment, yes, absolutely. He should serve some time, but life without parole? Yeah. Oh, man. I can't get behind that. No. So Richard Beasley's trial was interesting. Uh-huh. In their opening statements, the prosecution talked about how Richard preyed on men who wanted a fresh start. Mm-hmm. The defense claimed that the prosecution had it all wrong. Oh. Uh, they didn't have enough evidence to convict Richard. And plus, Richard was the victim. What, how's that? Oh, well, you're about to find out. I mean, and boy, are you going to be embarrassed that you <laughs> thought Richard was the bad guy. Oh, okay. okay. Right. Lay it on me. I'm ready. So get this. Scott Davis, mm-hmm. the guy who supposedly survived Richard's yeah. attack, guess what? He was not the real victim. In fact, he attempted to murder Richard Beasley. Oh, is that how he got his elbow blown off? Yes. Yes. <laughs> Over the course of the trial, the defense would prove this to be true. Oh, okay. Richard was the victim. This was all a terrible mix-up. Uh-huh. Also, as for those Craigslist ads, Richard didn't write those. That was, you know, like, he was being asked to write those by a violent criminal. So oh. everybody back off, be cool, and shut up. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Once again, Scott Davis was the prosecution's star witness. He talked about getting shot in the arm, running away, eventually getting help. Then a woman named Joyce Grabelski testified. Love it. She was an old friend of Richard's. She told the jury that after Richard was arrested, she received a letter from him while he was in prison. Mm-hmm. It contained a detailed diagram leading her to where she could find Ralph Geiger's wallet. It also pointed out where she could find two laptops. Wow. He told her to find the wallet and laptops, destroy all of them, and tell no one. Wow. He thought that was going to work? What an idiot. Yeah. People don't think that they read your mail? Yeah. Oh, God. So... This is where it gets weird. Brogan Rafferty was subpoenaed. He was expected to testify. There was all this talk about, like, maybe he would testify in exchange for getting a lighter sentence. Like, mm-hmm. maybe he would be granted parole. Uh, well, not granted parole, but he but would get life with... the parole. Yeah, thank yeah. you. But he never testified. Wow. So there, I came across this newspaper article this morning. It said, there was no explanation as to why he didn't testify. Attorneys are under a gag order. So wow. I don't know what went wrong there, but wow. something went something. wrong. Or maybe prosecutors felt like, we've got enough. We don't need this testimony. I don't know. Wow. Then Richard Beasley took the stand in his own defense. Excellent. Are you ready? I am so ready. Okay. Get ready to hear from the victim. <laughs> he told the jury that he was not the one who pulled the gun on Scott Davis. In fact, Scott Davis pulled the gun on him. Mm-hmm. He told the jury, I about urinated in my pants. No, I about <laughs> urinated in my pants. <laughs> he asked Scott, why? <laughs> he says Scott told him, brother, you're a weak link. 
What? You want to know what happened? Uh-huh. So you see, Scott wanted to murder him because he'd been a police informant in a motorcycle gang investigation. Oh, okay. Richard told the jury, I was a snitch. I admit it, I was a snitch, and that's why Scott wanted me dead. Mm-hmm. You know what they say. Snitches get stitches. And wind up in ditches. <laughs> Almost happened. Mm-hmm. So he said that they wrestled with each other. Scott fired the gun six times. But it only fired a bullet once. And that bullet hit Scott. In his own elbow? Yeah, Scott shot himself. Because they were struggling. Brandy, don't make that face like you're not buying this. I'm not buying This is 100% what happened. Okay. Okay. You ready for the craziest part? Yeah. The jury ate it up. Shut up. They were like, wow. We cannot believe this. So they let him go. They did not. <laughs> you fucking liar. You liar. Oh, God. I wanted to. Oh, I wanted to. Holy keep the, I, shit. Oh, my God. Oh, I couldn't keep the smile off my face. <sighs> no, they thought he was full of shit. So Richard mom, Richard's mom, Carol, testified that he'd had a rough childhood and that his stepfather abused him. The defense called a psychologist to the stand who said that Richard suffered from low self-esteem and depression and alcohol abuse. Which I would think, in the face of these kind of charges, getting up and be like, this person has low self-esteem. I think that's just embarrassing. exactly. Get the fuck out of here. And the prosecution was like, sad story. I've got an even more sad story, though. Three men are dead. Yeah. For no reason. The jury deliberated. They found him guilty. Excellent. Are you surprised they didn't believe? No. Man. (laughs) Okay, I, some kind soul uploaded his testimony to YouTube. It is freaky stuff. Is it? He's very convincing. I mean, the story is. Did you start to think, like, oh my gosh. (laughs) No. This poor guy's in prison for no reason. His story is such clear bullshit. Yeah. But the way he delivers it, you can see that if he had, like, more believable material, you would be like. You would believe him. Yeah. Yeah. You can just see why people fell Mm -hmm. for his shit. Mm -hmm. So he was sentenced to death. But Richard didn't like that one bit. He appealed. And his case went all the way to the Ohio Supreme Court. (laughs) So the judges were like, nah, dude. (laughs) They voted unanimously that the evidence presented at trial was enough to convict him. Mm -hmm. And they voted six to one that the death sentence was appropriate. Okay. A few months ago. Richard announced that he wanted his case heard by the United States Supreme Court. <laughs> Here's why. I think this is kind of interesting. Okay. Uh, he said, so Ohio Supreme Court Justice Patrick DeWine is the son of Ohio Attorney General Mike DeWine. So Richard's attorneys are arguing that Justice DeWine should have recused himself oh, yeah. from the case when it came before the Supreme Court mm-hmm. because the Ohio Attorney General's office assisted with Richard's prosecution and argued the case in the Supreme Court. Yeah. I can see that. I mean, but isn't the Attorney General's office almost always going to be involved? Yeah, there's in those no cases? way for them not to be involved. Yeah, yeah. So I, and I, I can see that it's a place for argument. I don't think that there's yeah. probably any way to. Yeah. 
win that one. Yeah. Uh, Richard's attorney, Donald Gaelic, said, We see a conflict of interest when your father's office is arguing a case before you. I can see it if your father was arguing it. I don't know. Yeah. Depends on your relationship with your dad. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 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 In the meantime, Brogan has also appealed. He said that his initial confession was coerced and that he didn't get a chance to argue that he acted under pressure in the murders or under duress. Yeah. But in 2015, an appellate court disagreed. Really? Yeah. I just... I... I... Sorry, I just said really right into my bottle. Oh, that's perfect. You think that's going to sound weird? It's on okay. The we're not recording audio here or right. anything. <laughs> it, doesn't, it doesn't matter, right? No, I felt really. Cra- some some cases, some places called them the Craigslist killers, and I know no. I, I really don't think that's fair. I don't think that's fair either. He should absolutely have gotten some form of punishment, but I just think it was really harsh. Yeah. I just kind of wish that Brogan had had an attorney right from the Mm -hmm. get-go. I don't think this would have turned out the same. Yeah. Uh, That's the story of the other Craigslist killer. Wow. So what I'm reminded of with Brogan Mm -hmm. is Brendan Dassey. Yeah. Who I think Brendan Dassey had way less involvement than Brogan did. Yeah. But I think it's... Well, I think Brendan Dassey had... Zero, zero involvement, involvement whatsoever. Some involvement. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I also don't think Stephen Avery did it. Have you seen the new season? I have not seen the new season okay. yet. So, then. no, uh, I don't think he did it either. Okay. Um, but I have not seen the new season yet, so I'll reserve my full judgment until after I see it. But he, his new lawyer mm-hmm. in this season, I want to sit at her feet and listen to her stories yeah. all day long. I think she is amazing. Yeah. I'm hoping people know who we're talking about at this point. Oh, surely sure. Surely. Yeah. If you're listening to this podcast, you surely have heard of making a murderer. <laughs> have you heard of crime? Have you ever heard of a crime? <laughs> <laughs> Slightly random, but okay. related. Do you remember the big hubbub? When um, John Travolta was at the Oscars and he was supposed to introduce yeah. Adina Menzel yeah, and he, he called totally her Adele Dazeem. <laughs> yes. So when that happened, they started these like there was this thing going around like on the Internet. Yeah. that was like a name generator. Like, yeah. what would John Travolta call you? Uh-huh. And mine was broken. Really? <laughs> he would call me broken. <laughs> yes. I love that you have remembered that and you saved it for this very moment. I did. I knew that would little tidbit would come in handy someday. Mm-hmm. Just tuck that little acorn away back there <laughs> for winter. Took it to Ohio, did took you? Took it to Akron, Ohio. Oh, something I have wanted to discuss on oh. the podcast. You guys, we hit it big a little while ago. And by that I mean we got our first totally off base sponsorship email huge this is huge our kids <laughs> are gonna love it so get this so norman gets these emails all the time and i think they're hilarious they're like a company has clearly spent money to send out a mass email which these things are not cheap to know they're expensive and yeah. we'll get these emails that are like we think your audience would be super into scented candles and you should do a review <laughs> of scented candles and it's like 
Oh my God. Mm, never. First of all, our audience is 97% male. Yeah. And a review of scented candles yeah. on the gaming historian game right. break. No. So we got an email saying that they were really impressed with our YouTube show, which at the time we had 15 I was going to say 22 subscribers. Yeah. Yeah. So very impressive numbers yeah. there. Really right. Clearly they've been, they've been keeping track of us. They wanted us to review fishing equipment for children. Yeah. Yeah. And they were sure that our kids were going to love it. On our explicit true crime, <laughs> crime podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so really looking forward to doing that. Can't wait to get those kids fishing get kids fishing equipment. I'm just going to start going to ponds. Uh-huh. See if there's any kids I can talk to. <laughs> You're going to be the adult woman with the kids' fishing equipment. What is that? Not a well-thought-out plan? Oh, just seems a little creepy. Seems uh, like you'd be the next uh, subject of the podcast. Right. <laughs> Something has happened this week. Okay. Something that we've been hoping and wishing and praying for. We reached... Oh, yeah. 100 ratings and reviews on iTunes. We are so excited. It was so exciting. So our goal was to hit 100 by Christmas. Yeah. We were super excited, hoping it would happen. And holy crap. We, you guys knocked it out of the park. We got yeah. a month till Christmas. So now we're going to get greedy. Yeah. Now we want 10,000 ratings <laughs> <by> Christmas. <laughs> If we have to do it fraudulently, we will. We will. We are not afraid to pay for reviews. <laughs> Just kidding. Not true. We We're too cheap. <laughs> We're way too cheap for that. <laughs> also ethics. Uh, yes. The ethics are really the big part. And then also that we're super, also, super frugal. Yeah. And some might say stingy. <laughs> but thank you to everyone who helped us reach our goal and left us a rating, left us a review. That was so awesome. We were super excited when we hit 100. Like, okay, so I sent Kristen a text message. Mm-hmm. And I meant to send her 100 balloon emojis. But I m- miscounted and only sent her 90. So, And I got excited because I thought she meant to send like 99 red balloons, like the song. <laughs> Turns out I totally missed the point. No, but we, okay, we're like Chris and David with the, you know, 50 yeah. times a day. 50 times a day. That's right. We're such nerds that at this point... I don't know that we should admit this. Don't tell, don't tell people how, what nerds we are, Kristen. <laughs> they don't know. Let's just tell people. We check to see. we w- When we were trying to reach that 100 goal, we were checking way too often to see if we'd reached it yet. I mean, I was really casual about it. Brandy was. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, okay. I'm so sure. I was only on there 20 times a day. <laughs> No, we we're super excited. Yes. Um, it's it's really cool to get feedback from people, so we appreciate it a lot. Absolutely, thank you, thank you, thank you to everyone who did that. Anything new going on with you? Oh, not a damn thing. <laughs> <laughs> Things are real uh, lame over here. Real huh? boring. Uh huh. <laughs> okay. Trying to think if there's anything new with me. <laughs> Kristen. Uh-huh. My mustache. <laughs> <laughs> okay. 
Um, you guys, Brandy is wearing a sweatshirt and she has like the little string uh, pushed up against her upper lip like a mustache. Yes. And then I said, I must ask you a question. <laughs> I really do have a question for you. Okay. Christmas is nearing. It is. It's time to get the Christmas shopping wrapped up. Mm-hmm. I've got a good amount of mine done, but I'm still looking for a couple of like... Gaming historian t-shirts? Yeah, I was going to say like a couple of items I think people will really treasure for a lifetime. Uh-huh. And so I thought automatically gaming historian t-shirt. Well, here's the thing. You buy a gaming historian t-shirt for just $10 at gaminghistorian.com. Yeah. We throw in a scented candle, which we're going <laughs> to review on the channel any minute now. <laughs> scented candle not included. <laughs> <laughs> scented candle is a total lie. So you're saying if I headed over to thegaminghistorian.com right now, I could pick up one of his amazing t-shirts in the retro style or the other one. (laughs) (laughs) The classic classic style for the low, low price of $10. And you wouldn't have to just pick up one. You could get 20. Whoa! So head on over there and get yours today. Boom. And then while you're on the internet doing that, why don't you stop on over to our social media? Find us on Twitter. Find us on Instagram. Find us on Facebook. We're in all of those places. Then, then, don't stop now. Hold on, hold on. But wait, there's more. You're already on your computer. Hop on over to iTunes. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review if you haven't done so already. And then... Join us next week when we'll be experts on two whole new topics. Podcast adjourned. And now for a note about our process. I read a bunch of stuff, then regurgitate it all back up in my very limited vocabulary. And I copy and paste from the best sources on the web and sometimes Wikipedia. So we owe a huge thank you to the real experts. For this episode, I got my info from Murder by Craigslist by Hannah Rawson in The Atlantic, an episode of Monster in My Family, as well as articles from Cleveland.com. And I got my info from People Magazine, CNN, The Colorado Inn, and Denver 7 News. For a full list of our sources, visit lgtcpodcast.com. Any errors are, of course, ours, but please don't take our word for it. Go read their stuff. 